Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. I'll begin reading in Malachi chapter 3 here in just a moment, and I have been looking forward to this day and the next three weeks for about two years. You may say, Pastor Jared, why is that? Because I love Christmas. I love it. I, I love almost everything about it. Not everything, but almost everything about it. I love that when we come past that holiday of Thanksgiving, and for some of you, even before, that things begin to change. That trees are adorned with light. That the spirit of people looks forward to days off and time with family. And, and all of those things are nice and fitting and appropriate. However, I look towards the horizon of the coming of Jesus Christ. And it floods my soul with God's plan of redemption. And I am reminded afresh and anew what God did to save us all. That he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement of our sins. And, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Oh, that's why the angel pronounced that there would be peace unto, unto the world. And I am excited about that today because for a couple of years I have been planning to preach this series. Now I don't always plan my preaching out two years in advance, but come Christmas I do. I already know what I'm preaching the next four weeks next year coming up on Christmas. I really do. And I'm excited about it. I can't wait to hurry up and finish this so I can get to that. We read those, those verses that remind us of his coming. We often go all the way back to Isaiah and we remember those powerful words that he gave to the children of Israel when he said that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. He shall be called wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And we can only imagine what it must have been like when those words first rolled off of the mouth of that prophet Isaiah and out of the, the quill of his pen as he writes those words, for unto us a child is born. And everybody looks around for this child, for they know exactly what child he is speaking of. He is speaking of the Savior, the Messiah, the one who is going to cast off both their sin and the government for which they were oppressed. And they looked for that child and they did not see him. And they waited. They waited as prophet after prophet would come and prophesy about the coming of this child and about the sin of Israel and the condition of their people until finally uh, this last prophet steps onto the scene, a prophet by the name of Malachi, which I love the fact that his name literally means my messenger. 
And now I'd like to read from his prophecy, if you would. Let's please stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Malachi chapter number 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 13. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 13. The Bible says this. It says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say... What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that, are tempt, that, that tempt God are even delivered. I'm going to pause there for just a moment before moving to chapter number four, but I would like to give some context as we stand, understanding what has just been said, for we might say that this is a rather unusual Christmas passage. To say in verse number 13, as the Lord condemns them, that your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord, what is going on here? As the prophet Malachi, God's messenger, begins to speak to his people, it has now been 100 years since the return from exile in Babylon. 100 years of expectation. You remember Ezra and Nehemiah as they began to build, build the walls and reconstruct the temple and with great expectation that when these things were done, the Messiah would then come. He would deliver them from any oppressor. He would forgive them. He would reign and rule like David, would establish their kingdom, and all the nations of the world would come to worship their Messiah and be placed under the authority of their kingdom. That was their expectation. Now as Malachi speaks to this group of people 100 years later after that has not occurred, much has changed. His message was directed to those living in that city of Jerusalem after it was rebuilt, after the temple is rebuilt. And here as he speaks to them, he declares that they are corrupt in their sin. They have corrupted themselves altogether. And even when we come here in verse 13, he says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord, yet... Ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? And they don't even see their problem. I can only imagine the complaining about God that must have taken place. We came here, he said that he would come, and he did not. That's why they responded in verse number 14. He have said, it is vain to serve God. You have said, what profit is it that we kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And what they're saying is, you haven't come, Lord. So none of it's been worth it. And then we come to chapter 4. And he declares, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and that it shall be leavened that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name 
shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Father, I pray that you would help me this morning. Lord, that you would empty me of myself, give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. But above all, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would not be weary in well-doing, but we would look to how you have operated before. And with patience, we would await your hand and your word once again. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The messenger Malachi, this prophet, he comes to people who were tired of waiting after a hundred years of the fact that the Messiah had not arrived. And as a response to that, they began to turn their backs from him. They stopped giving to him. They stopped worshiping him and turned towards other gods. And as we come to the close of this book, it seems to summarize the entire, new, the entire Old Testament Before Malachi goes off the scene, he says in verse number four, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And what is Malachi saying? He's saying, I know you've waited a hundred years, but just stay faithful. You're going to have to wait longer. He reiterates what's been said by the prophets in verse number five of chapter four. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And once again, God's people, impatient and ready to quit, are being told not about what God is doing right now, but about what God will do. You would think 100 years would be long enough and surely the Messiah would come. But if you would turn, and I would like for you to turn the very next page in your Bible, and I want you to notice that in your Bible, in many of your Bibles, there is a blank page that separates the Testaments. In my Bible, it's... If I look hard enough, I can see through and see the words that are inscribed on the back of this page, but the part that faces me is totally blank. There is no new revelation. There is no new word. And like a great symbolic gesture, the printer of my Bible has left this page blank. That blank page symbolizes 400 years. 400 years that came after Malachi that came after God had given his last prophetic word in the Old Testament, uh, the last um, new revelation from his word. And now the children of Israel are having to hang on this word. A hundred years of waiting and nothing has happened. And now Malachi steps onto the scene and says, stay faithful, you're going to have to wait longer. And now for four hundred more years. They do not have one prophet. They do not have one more book of the Bible that is penned. They do not have, as we do, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to guide them. They have a series of, of um, nations which take them and, and then are conquered and reconquered. During this 400 year space of time, there are nations that rise and nations that fall. 
during that blank page of your Bible, as they are waiting somewhat antagonistically, there is a great leader that steps onto the stage by the name of Alexander the Great. Oh, he runs down towards Jerusalem and without hardly any effort whatsoever, overthrows the whole thing. And I can imagine many of those are wondering, where is our Messiah now? The rise of Hellenism and then the death of Alexander the Great. And it's not too many centuries after that. And now here comes another world power by the name of Rome. And about 63 AD takes over Jerusalem. And they look for instruction from God. They look for help from God. And all they have is a blank page staring back at them. Silence. Silence. For effect, I was considering having everyone stand at the opening of this message and turn to that blank page, and then we're just going to stand here silent for about the time that it normally takes me to read the passage of the day. But for your sake and for fear that you would become distracted and think of other things during that time, I didn't do it. <laughs> But could you imagine, could you imagine if, if all we got from God was silence? Could you imagine in the most desperate times of Israel's history as other nations are conquering them and reconquering them, that the Word of God seems to be silent? And this morning, as well as the next few weeks, I intend to preach a series entitled, Where God Left Off. Many of us are wondering this, perhaps even in our own lives. And for some of us, it is not difficult for us to relate to what those faithful believers in Israel were experiencing during the rise and fall and the conquering and reconquering of their precious nation of Israel as they wondered, where is the voice of God? Where is the power of God? And every time they turned their faces towards the heavens, they got silence. They did not see His hand, nor did they hear His word. And they see this blank page staring back at them and they wonder where are the prophets and where are the, the people of God. And even though we may sing that beautiful Christmas song, Silence Night, Holy Night, the implication is something precious, something amazing happened on that night. For when we sing it, we think about that round young virgin mother and child, that holy infant so tender and mild, and it causes us to sleep in heavenly peace as that child also slept in that manger of heavenly peace. Oh, but for those who are awaiting his coming, it was the exact opposite. For silence, they felt meant that God had forgotten. For silence... For some of them, they felt that not only did God forget, but perhaps that God is not there, that God is not real. Perhaps they have gone so far away from Him that now they will never be under His care, His mercy, His grace, or His influence. And this morning, I would like to make an examination of where God left off because I love the fact 
that where God left off with silence, when we go to John chapter number one, and Jesus is introduced, he is introduced this way. That, and now I'm going to forget. He is introduced this way. In the beginning was the Word. And he is introduced as the Word. And I would like to preach this morning a message entitled, From Silence to Speech. Because that is how our God works. Sometimes there are times where we feel that there is silence. We sense that God's revelation is, is not there, that God, God's hand is far from us, and we're wondering, where is he? And the powerful conviction of his presence seems to escape us. And the miraculous deliverance of his hand is gone, and we feel that we're in this moment of silence, and we cannot see our God, for he seems to be a God that is afar off. But I want to point out a number of things that we ought to consider when God goes from silence to speech. The first one is this. I want you to observe the silent preparation. The silent preparation. And if we could look over the landscape of Israel during those 400 years before the coming of Christ... And I want you to turn over one more page in your Bible, and I want you to find yourself there in the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. For as we cross over the silence of that page, what I love about God, Matthew's Gospel is that it begins this way. Verse number one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then in verse number two, something incredible happens. The word of God reaches back. It reaches back all the way to Abraham. And I'm not going to read through all of these names, but for effect, I would at least like to read verse number two. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharaohs of Zerah, of Zerah and Thamar, and Pharaohs begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram. And if you were to go to verse number 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13, you would land there in verse number 13 and read, And Zorab and Zerabbabel begat Abiah, I am struggling here, Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor. Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Matthian, and Matthian begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And this is what I want to point out to you. I'm not going to be preaching on all of these names and pointing out the gems that are in there, whether it be Boaz or Rahab or, or David or Abraham. I simply want to put something on to display for you. That while the children of Israel were in silence, God was still working. From the beginning of this book, we see the generation of Jesus Christ all the way back to Abraham in verse number two. And Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob moved on to Joseph. And, and we see one after another after another. And there is an unbroken line under the hand of God that was working toward to bring forth the Christ. 
And what I'm trying to point out is this, is that in silent preparation, that silence does not mean that God is forgotten. That silence does not mean that God is not actively working. For he was working in every single generation from Abraham to David and David to Joseph. And Joseph there in the manger with Mary and Jesus Christ is that there is never a time in the world's history in which God stepped back, folded his arms and said, it's all on you now. But instead, even in silence, his hand is evident. His hand was evident because the people needed preparation. As we read that generation of Malachi, they were not ready to receive the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For they were puffed up in their pride. They were so proud that even when God came and corrected them himself through his prophet, that the people turned dumbfounded as if they didn't have a clue what God was talking about. Uh, he condemns them in verse number 13 and, and says that, that you have spoken so much against him that God's people have spoken against him. And in verse number 14, uh, his response is this, uh, that it is vain to serve God. We don't know what you're talking about, God. We've not condemned you. We've just gone about our lives. You see, in the silent years, there's a preparation that took place among God's people. If God would have sent the Messiah there, right then and there, to those in Malachi's day, what reward would they have learned? Or what lesson would they have learned of their reward? That their unfaithfulness were to have brought about the Messiah. They needed humbled. They needed corrected. They needed to be brought to a place where the work of God's judgment could be done before the work of God's Messiah could be revealed. And perhaps it is the same with us. As we look towards heaven and wonder, where is our God? Perhaps this silent period in our own life is not necessarily uh, punitive, but instead is a work of preparation for our own hearts. For God must prepare his people. And what we see is that where God left off was really not a place where God left off, but instead it was a place of unfinished business that God intended to work by the fashion of his hands to prepare his people and that business was not complete but we see in Matthew chapter 1 that that work continued and I'm here to remind you that that work continues in our lives as well and even on those days where God seems so far from us and we feel so forgotten and so alone that the behind the scenes of his silence is his hand diligently crafting and caring for every facet of our lives, not so that he might push us farther away into oblivion, but instead that he might draw us near with true comfort and joy, true provision of our greatest needs. And what do we see where God left off? That he left off with silent preparation. But I notice in this story, not just the silent preparation, but I also see and I hear the sound of his voice. Yes, it may have 
not been on the timeline of those who eagerly anticipated the coming of the Christ. And just as we get impatient and uncomfortable, wondering when God is, speak, is going to speak, we must always remember that God will speak. He is not dumb. His lips have not been sewn shut. But our God speaks. And I love how John chapter 1 opens in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the third verse of Mark, it says it this way, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness came, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The gospel of Luke says it like this, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration or a voice of those things which are surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And each gospel begins with this declaration that God's word is coming, that God's voice is going to speak. And here we come to the sound of his voice. You may say that his voice began as it cried out in that manger. And oh, if the world knew that the Son of Man was speaking... But there is another voice that he sent. The voice of his prophet, John the Baptist. The voice of that man crying in the wilderness as the book of Mark describes it. And that voice came and the Lord still speaks in that way. He speaks through his prophet. And as we come to God's word, let us always remember that God uses the foolishness of preaching. And I'll be the first to admit to you that I am not the most proficient preacher. I am not the most powerful preacher. I am not the smartest preacher. I am not the most Holy Ghost filled preacher. For there are men greater than I that you could be listening to this morning. That's why it is a great honor for me that you chose to worship here today. But let me say this, no matter how lame the preacher may be, if it be God's word that is proclaimed, proclaimed, then his voice is still speaking and God's word still goes out. And I challenge you, church, together, that if we would approach listening in the same fervor that I approach speaking, oh, we would never miss the words of God. He is still speaking. He may have left off in silence, but he began again in speech. Not only did he speak through his prophets, but he spoke through his own person, the word. And when we look towards that little manger, let's not just see some little baby, but instead, this is the same word that spoke the universe into existence. And that same word that is speaking to us today, it is that same word that spoke light into darkness. And it is that same word which speaks to us today. And I think that sometimes whether the, different, the difference between whether we hear him or whether we do not is not whether or not he's speaking. It's whether or not we're listening. There are many that found themselves in Bethlehem at that time. So few are listening. 
it's amazing to me that with such an astrological event, no, 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 astronomical event, I don't believe in astrology. I do believe in astronomy. With such an astronomical event, Three wise men would come all the way from the east to follow that star. It baffles me that no one else turned their gaze to the brightness of the sky at night. An angelic host shows up in these shepherds' fields and declares that unto them a child has come. Oh, and they quickly respond. But how many turn the deaf ear, declaring that God is not speaking. And he may have left off in silence, but he began once again in speech. And I want to challenge the church this morning. Do you hear his word? Do you hear his word? Do you hear his word in preaching? Do you hear his word in your own private study? For I would declare that his word ought to speak far more clear and loudly when it's just you and God there on the pages of your Bible as the Holy Spirit wells up those words within your heart and within your ears that you might hear the declaration of his word. Our God is real. And he is not silent, but he screams from the heavens and he shouts from the pages of his word. And I'm wondering, do we hear him? Or is it still just a silent night to us? He did not leave us without instruction. He may have left off in silence, but he began once again in speech. And we hear the sound of his voice. And then I notice lastly in this, in this passage, in this portion of Scripture, as we read the Christmas story, we see not just the work of God behind the scenes in silent preparation. We don't just hear the sound of His voice as it bursts onto the stage. But what we see is those who humble themselves and hear His voice. We see a sensible reaction. When the angel came and declared what was going to take place for Mary, she considered herself blessed. When we see those angels in the shepherd's fields in Luke chapter number 2, they declare, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, he shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Oh, to be part of that group of shepherds. As suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But the very next verse, I think, is the most important verse of all. For if it were just a number of angels in a shepherd's field, and if it were just those shepherds receiving a message, then all would be lost if that was all that was there. If it was a Savior who came to earth and died for the sins of mankind, but there were no response to it, 
then what benefit is it at all? For the value in the speech of God is not the word itself. It is the response that comes from it. That's the reason that he gave us his word. That is the reason that the angels showed up in those shepherd's field. Not because they wanted to show off with fancy fanfare as that angelic host began to sing. But because they expected a response from the shepherds. And the very next verse in Luke chapter number 2, verse number 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from then and them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Oh, those words ring in my ear, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And I wonder... What the Lord has made known unto us that we are still sitting on. That we have not responded to. And I imagine there are at least two groups here under the sound of my voice today. There are the majority of you which I believe have heard the voice of the Lord. And you know that he has died for your sins and and rose from the dead. And you possess him as your savior. But his voice has not gone silent at that point. But he continues to speak. And he continues to, to confront you. And he continues to lead you. And he continues to guide you. But yet, for many of the things he gives us, we stand still. We fail to move forward. Oh, but I believe there's another group. A group, and you have heard his word. You have heard that Christ came to save sinners, that that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die for the sins of the world. And you've heard that voice, but you've not responded. Oh, it's my prayer that you would listen closely this morning. For the Bible is so clear that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. How many years do you have left? The sobering reality is this. between this time right now and this time next year some of us will no longer be here and I don't just mean present in this building but I mean present in this earth it's a reality that we'll never gather like this again For there will come a time where our time on this earth is expired and we will have it no more. We're not promised tomorrow. It is within the realm of possibility that that one of us will get in their car after the service this morning, turn the ignition and, and perhaps buckle our children into the safety car seats behind us and, and begin to merge on I-40 when the catastrophic will take place and our life is gone from us. Doesn't that seem so far away? But is it not possible? 
Will we arise tomorrow or the next day? Will we live to see next week or next month? I do not know. And if you're honest, neither do you. And I'm asking, I'm describing this because I want to ask, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd be on your way to heaven? See, God is not silent. Oh, he has warned us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. But God's word is not silent, and he has also told us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And do you sit here listening to those words, but not responding? There is no reaction. There is no movement on your behalf, but instead you sit there completely dead on the death road of your life and one day that day will come and if not settled you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire you see he may have left off in silence there may have been periods of your life even where he seems so silent but can you hear him now and some need to hear those words. They're calling them to salvation and respond. Others need to hear those words, not lose heart, and cast their faith and their confidence towards him once again. For his speech demands a response. The only question remaining is what response is he request of you?